Welcome to the Gucci Podcast. As part of Growing Pains, a special series in partnership with Dazed Beauty, dancer and choreographer Holly Blakey opens up to managing editor Amelia Abraham. Together, they talk about the pressures of being a performer while growing up and becoming the confident young woman Holly is today. Hi, and welcome to the second episode of Growing Pains, the Days Beauty podcast where we talk to our favorite people about what it's like to grow up as outsiders and how our experiences shape the people we become. We want to get inside the mind of people who did things differently and ask them what their secrets are. To celebrate Gucci Bloom's female fragrances, we've partnered with Gucci for three special episodes where we'll be talking about modern femininity. My name is Amelia Abraham, a managing editor at Days Beauty. And today I'm going to be speaking to the incredibly talented choreographer, Holly Blakey. What sets Holly apart from other choreographers working today is the way that she blends high art and low art. Outside of her work creating dance performances for major institutions, Holly has choreographed countless music videos. She's worked with Florence and the Machine, Jessie Ware, Coldplay, Mo. But the road to becoming one of the world's most exciting choreographers wasn't always an easy one for Holly. She's joining us here at the Dominion Theatre in London to tell us how she did it. Hi Holly, how are you? I'm great, Amelia, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you for joining us. So, Thanks for having me. Um, I want to start by asking you, um, what are your first memories of dancing? I almost can't remember my first memories of dancing. In a way, I, I only remember having dance in my life, so it's kind of, I guess that's quite a sweet notion in a way. I can't, I can't think of a time before that. I certainly remember being really young and having this... Anna Pavlova book, this old sort of famous ballerina and being really obsessed with her. Um, and I think my mum got me at this black and white little, little book and we were living in this tiny house in Caton in uh, Lancashire at the time. And um, I think it was then I, I thought, I want to be a ballerina. Um, I mean, that didn't happen, but that, that's where it started. Um, at what age did you start? dancing do you remember when you started dance school um I started doing ballet and you know acro and modern and all these things when I guess I was around three or four or something like that I was very young that's so 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 young and at that time like what kind of kid were you were you did you fit in at school yeah I never particularly had any problems at school I never really did that well at school or what I should say is I never did that well at any kind of enforced education. I, I've never been very good at being told what to do in any sort of, in any kind of phase of it, really, school, primary school, secondary school, university. I I, um, I think my main issue was not not liking being told what to do, actually. Right. I can't imagine that working out so well when you're in rigorous dance training. Well, that was the one thing that I was really focused on, actually. I, I've always been incredibly focused on dancing and um, in a way, my my want to be a, a a better dancer, or you know, that that was a decision I'd made, not one someone had asked me to make. And the training itself, what were the biggest challenges there? I, you wouldn't really call it training when you're really really young. I guess I was going to you know, going to a dance school. It was called Dance Incorporated in Lancaster, run by a lady called Miss Jane, Miss Jane and Miss Anne. And I wonder why they always took their first names. That's like a little common thread. Anyway, it was in this sort of garage in a car park in in Lancaster. And I'd go there a few times a week. And I always remember my mum driving me there 
It's always raining on the car and I remember hearing her chew her chewing gum and I remember hearing the tick of the indicator. Anyway, uh, I'd go there and, you know, I was so young then, it was probably more about <laughs> like some kind of crash or something for my mum. But I continued to dance and my sister also, she, um, she did tap, which I've always been jealous of. Um, and, of, you know, yeah, of course, there's so many difficult, competitive, surrounding ideas. I don't know how healthy it is to be staring at your body in front of a mirror that many hours of a day when you're that young, truthfully. I don't know, but I also don't know any different. For me, I wasn't particularly worrying about, um, you know, at the time I wasn't particularly worrying about how thin my thighs or arms were. I was more concerned with getting the pirouette done or whatever it might have been or working on my turnout or, you know, whatever. But I think maybe subconsciously a lot of more difficult things started to harness in my mind um, and probably many other dancers as well. Um, you know, it would be untrue of me to say but ballet was my my central focus because, in fact, ballet was something I always did, but um, quickly uh, I was more interested in other forms of dance places where I found more liberation. Mm. You stopped dancing for a while because you weren't very well. How did you get back into dance and what was that like? I stopped dancing for a while, yeah, quite a long time, maybe two years or something like that. And my best friend, who I'm still dearly close with now, took me to a dance school in Lancaster when I was well again called Ludus and it was then really that I was introduced into contemporary dance or certainly like a more freeform way of moving and um, yeah I, I continued to go there and, and to take class there and then I joined their youth dance company and um, that was like a really big shift for me in, in, in how I was perceiving dance and practicing dance and the people that I met, who I'm still friends with now, you know, it's in who are still dancing now. Quite a lot of nice things came from that place. So, I'm not a dancer. You've seen me on the dance floor. I think we we can all agree on that. What is it like when you're actually dancing in your head? You know, is that when you forget about all this competitiveness or the other things that might be going on in your life? Can you explain it for me? Yeah, I think that. Um, the maybe the main thing for me with dancing is it makes me utterly present and um that you know we all spend so much time thinking in the past or in the future and so rare that you actually sit with yourself and I, I mean it's a mindfulness that we're all trying to learn more about isn't it but um yeah I, I feel completely free and present and the most happy that's possible for me and um it's obviously extremely addictive and you know, my dad, my um, dad I went to visit the other day, he said to me, what is it about dancing? And I was like, I don't know, I didn't really know how to answer at the time or was grumpily, just dismissive. And he said, I know what it is. And I was like, okay. And he was like, it's flying for the earthbound. And I thought that was quite sweet. That's so nice. Yeah. Wow. So dancing became your career. Let's talk about how that sort of started you moved to London, is that right? I moved to London when I was 19. Uh, I went to Roehampton University. I did like a more academic-based degree. Um, and then I was making a lot of work on the side of that, working and collaborating with artists. I went um, 
to do many different courses all over the world, really. I spent some time in New York. And uh, when I came back to London, I got an apprenticeship with a company here and then started basically doing a much more normative contemporary dance route. So it was like live art, theatre-based work, much more normative contemporary dance circuit. Everything was kind of going the way it sort of does if you enter a, you know, a career in contemporary dance really here in London. And then I was asked to choreograph a music video for Jessie Ware. And it was really that quite pivotal moment when I, when I was like, oh, whoa, I really like being this side of things. And it started to make me wonder about my own performing body and if, if ever that was really where I was supposed to be, you know, if I really I was ever supposed to be performing because suddenly sitting back and watching something and creating something and then looking at it and changing it, that felt like, oh, whoa, okay, this is, this is, this is how this feels. And it quite changed my perspective, actually, so I'm grateful uh, to Jessie for that. From there, I, I um, started making a lot more music videos, started choreographing them and directing some also. Um, always with like a strong dance aesthetic, always with a sense of movement. And um, and yeah, it was like a very interesting shift, a very a new way of being. Um, yeah. You've, you haven't just worked with Jesse Way, you've worked with lots of different people. You've worked with Florence and the Machine, mm. Coldplay, mm. Mo. What is the difference for you between sort of working on music videos and working in the sort of art institution and did you feel like you had to choose one route or the other in your career? To be honest in many ways I've never felt like I've sat on one side of the the platform or the other side of the platform I've never quite felt like any of them were places that I was really situated to be honest so I never felt the need to choose because whatever I was doing I was working quite you know sort of just quite habitually and and instinct instinctively and through what felt right to me um I like doing both. I think both have relevance. I, I'm interested in, I mean, I love pop videos. I, I love that you can try and um, make great pieces of work that are infiltrated into mass culture. I think that's important. I think audience is important and vital. And and in fact, what I've found has happened is as I've developed, uh, you know, as time has gone on, my live work uh, has discussions about my film work or my more popular culture stuff. And vice versa, and they both sort of influence each other. And I made a piece called Some Greater Class, which was basically basically using this notion of class to have a discussion about high art and highbrow work and lowbrow stuff and how work that's made for mass culture holds less value and, and what that really means that we're saying about each other on a more broader sort of level. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw Some Greater Class, which I think is around the same time I met you. And I was completely blown away. It was one of the most amazing live dance performances I've ever seen. It was like all the euphoria of a night out, but the, also these really meditative lows. And I kind of just went away and told everyone that I knew that they had to go and see it. I want to explore that idea about taste um, and what we find beautiful and ask you how that actually translated into the dance itself or what that process was. Well, we've been exploring what different demographics of society find beautiful and uh, we wanted to take these quite crass 
subjects and turn them into vignettes that could, you know, potentially be quite ugly things and just see if you could test people at the same time as presenting them with an idea. So, you know, a lot of SGC is is quite sort of frank and quite sort of aggressive and not very beautiful, you know. It's not about straight lines and, and perfect uh, alignment. It's actually sometimes about a couple of tramps, like, beating each other up or... I don't know, and then we try and find the joy in, in those imperfections and also a sense of community in those moments. So, you know, there's a section in SGC called Disco where they where they basically all disco. And uh, I think it's about a sense of unity in those places of failure, those imperfect, not beautiful, and therefore the most beautiful moments of life. Yeah, I think that really comes across when you watch it. And also in the people that you decide to work with, you look for people that have a story, I guess, or like a lot of character. What what do you look for in a dancer? What do you find beautiful? I, I'm really, really keen to find dancers who aren't all exactly the same and aren't all going to perform things the same way. I like dancers to come with all their baggage and all their weight and history and for it to be some kind of catharsis also in their exploration through the movement. Um, they always have a sense of agency and there'll be steps that are very clear and I'll choreograph those and we'll work together and we'll create the work. But from from a certain point, it has to be translated and transcribed onto their uh, their bodies and their, their minds also, you know. So them having a sense of agency is vital. And I think it makes for quite a vibrant sometimes loud, sometimes vulnerable, very characterful kind of uh, performances. And I think it's really important that they're people who, you know, don't necessarily care if they're always, their right arm hits 45 degrees at count five. You know, I, I look for something something else, really, something um, a bit more, um, that feels a bit more alive to me and people who care less about this kind of outside judgment and more about exercising something within themselves and and therefore contributing to the larger language of everything you know you can work without so much inhibition so much freedom and space is born from those moments uh not worrying so much about about judgment how much do you worry about judgment um how much do i worry about judgment you know maybe it's a goal to never worry about judgment of course, I worry about what people think and about what my friends and family think. I mean, it's that sort of age-old thing, isn't it? You, you're a mixture of crippling insecurity and worry of judgment and then the most sort of outlandish confidence all, all in one. And I definitely think there's some truth in my character with that. What about age? Has that change the way you feel about yourself and your work and your confidence yeah definitely you know just as you grow and get older um and as you experience more things you're you're a bit more generous and relaxed with yourself and you know you you're not punishing yourself for things out of your control and it, it's all a journey and it's all like a lesson that you you maybe never learn until you die but as time goes on and as you age, only, only more good things happen, I think. 
let's talk about one of those good things, which was in 2018, your show Cowpuncher, mm-hmm. which again I went to see and it was absolutely marvellous. <laughs> it was a collaboration with Mika Levy, mm-hmm. the incredible musician. And it was a, I hope I've got this right, a kind of subversive Western dance performance but also kind of an opera. Maybe you could explain better what Cow like Puncher was. I like that explanation. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, Cow Puncher was a commission from the South Bank Centre to be the first dance performance to reopen the Queen Elizabeth Hall. It had been closed for refurbishment for two years. And uh, it was an amazing opportunity, quite crazy and with a very tight deadline. And it was all a bit insane. But I thought I mainly wanted to create something that was really celebratory, really fun, really exciting um and I just um I just thought what about a western you know could I do a western of course I'm so interested in film and in movies you know that's a lot of my background as well as a maker and I just thought wow I want to do a movie you know I want to do some kind of movie on stage and I phoned Mika and I said do you want to do this should we do this cowboy thing Mika and I met at the South Bank Centre which is how the kind of commission came about basically we did a residency there together and uh and and yeah she was into it and um it kind of started there the problem is with uh with westerns and cowboys is you can't really think about it for more than one second before it becomes this quite deeply political very problematic subject um but you know as it went on it felt like it was more and more a reflection of our time in a way it's all about borders and in a time of Trump when masculinity is like quite a shocking and difficult subject, really, all this locker room talk, you know, I don't know. It just suddenly felt like we were drawing parallels to to the way we were living now, whilst at the same time, the cowboy harnessing the most kind of gay icon that's ever kind of walked our earth and something funny in that, you know. And so, yeah, we made Cowpuncher um, and it was a one-night show and... And we performed it live. We didn't film it. And uh, and we're never going to do it again. And, and it, there was something in that that was really nice. We are actually embarking on a kind of cowpuncher too. Cowpuncher my ass, it's called. Um, and we go into rehearsal for that next month, which will be a piece that's really starts to unturn the stones of what we learned in that very short period, very short creation period for that last piece of work. But yeah, that incarnation will only ever exist in that moment of time. And I think there's something deeply cathartic about that. You keep making work ceaselessly. It's incredible. I, what do you do when you need downtime? What do you do for yourself? To be honest, like, I'm just so at my best and happiest when I'm making work. Um, and, you know, it's not always necessarily this... I'm not talking about always having to thrash out hard decisions and you know really rigorous work in the studio but you know if we're in R&D and we're making and creating work I'm my most calm and I'm my most centered really um but in terms of downtime for me I'm like a full yoga and essential oils kind of gal that's where I'm at self-care all the way actually not just self-care because partying is probably quite a big part of the release not at the moment, six months pregnant, but... Yes, you are pregnant. How is dancing when you're pregnant? Are you still dancing? I am. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, definitely... I, I, it's saving me, to be honest. I feel I feel so good and strong and, you know, like I have no idea how I'm going to feel in even a week or a day or whatever, but right now it feels amazing. And, you know, I feel super blessed that um, 
that I have that because, uh, it, you know, it makes me feel really good. Get the odd kick and punch now and again if I'm going for it too much. But yeah, it's good. And on the cusp of becoming a mum, mm -hmm. what are you? What have you learned that you're going to impart to your children? What do you wish you'd known when you were growing up? You know, quite simply, I feel like a very, very privileged person, and I think that I wish I'd known really that anything was available to me and anything was possible. And um, I, I just think there should be a real sense of of belief and self belief in this little. Uh, this little baby, I, I, I just think um, the world is yours. You know, if you're as lucky as I am, the world is yours to do whatever you want with, should you want. And my final question is, where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? You know, truthfully, I have no idea where I'm going to be in 10 years' time, but I, I have this dream of building something, you know, a, a sort of space somewhere. I see a lot of greenery and I see... Uh, some kind of home to to make work and live and maybe somewhere in the country where there's running water outside and I don't know I have a dream to build something so maybe maybe in the next 10 years that'll be available to me thank you Holly thanks Amelia Growing Pains, the series in collaboration with Dazed Beauty to celebrate Gucci Bloom, returns soon with a new episode featuring actor and model Harry Neff. Meanwhile, discover more on Gucci.com or on the Gucci Beauty Instagram account.